hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator. All right, welcome back to the next episode of the BC Law Just Law Podcast. I'm Tom Blakely here with Jim Fiore and Professor Brian Quinn is uh, joining us again because we've got a we've got another deal that's been I don't know if anyone's heard of it. Uh, Elon Musk uh, buying Twitter. We want to talk about what's going on with that because I, I I'd imagine this is like a, like your your M and A class. This could just be the final. Like this could be the issue spotter. Well, the final is going to be next week, so I don't want to give <laughs> oh, away I see. any okay. Uh, Okay. Any secret information. But we've been talking about it quite a bit for the last two weeks. I can imagine we're covering a lot of bases here. All right, so we just want to talk about this deal because this has been uh, just like the only thing in the news it feels like. And it just kind of touches on not only all, all kinds of different areas in M&A and in, in corporate law, but it just feels like this is what hasn't happened in this deal. Mm. Uh, so we just want to go through it. Uh, so for those who uh, aren't aware, so on April 4th, uh, Elon Musk announced he'd acquired a 9.1%. Uh, uh, stake in Twitter uh, on March 14th, which made him the company's largest shareholder. Mm-hmm. Uh, on April 5th, Twitter invited him to join the company's board. On April 14th, uh, he made an unsolicited and non-binding offer to purchase the company for $43 billion. April 15th, uh, Twitter's board announced a poison pill strategy. Uh, then you keep fast-forwarding, I feel like something happened every day. And then uh, finally on April 20th, Musk disclosed he had a $46.5 billion uh, of, of funding to do the deal. And lo and behold, very recently here, as you as you predicted earlier this week, uh, it was announced that this thing looks like it's going to go through. Um, but just rewinding w- with all this stuff, um, j- just tell us about this. It just feels like every day I'd open the Wall Street Journal, this is the only thing in the news. It's, it's been, uh, you know, the politics, just everything is sort of um, – come into this deal. But if you can just explain for us, uh, you know, kind of what's happened here, how this happened, how it feels like it's kind of come out of nowhere, the world's richest man buying Twitter. Uh, what's this about? What, what, what's been going on here besides everything? Yeah. I mean, what's this about? Uh, I don't know if it's really about anything. I've been getting, uh, having conversations with people who are like yeah. looking for some grander meaning. Yeah. And I don't think there's a grander meaning here, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, does it? Uh, what does it hearken for the future of uh, activist investing and all that? No, I don't think so. Uh, this is really, I think, the world's richest man mm-hmm. uh, seeing an opportunity to buy his most favorite plaything mm-hmm. uh, and just going for it. And uh, you know, good luck to him. Uh, yeah. This is not going to be easy uh, because uh, you know, once the dog catches the car, yeah. it's uh, it's in for a surprise. And and how does that compare to the deal we talked about? On, on the episode you joined us previously, mm-hmm. like two two giant public companies merging, and this is just like a guy, private citizen, yeah. just with a lot of money. Yeah. So we previously talked about the Activision yeah. Microsoft mm-hmm. deal, and there there was clearly a, a corporate strategy on Microsoft's part. Hey, the metaverse is a thing, and we're going to use Activision and gaming as a way to get into the mobile metaverse, right. and that's going to be part of our future, right? And uh, that's a very traditional corporate strategy and using acquisitions to, mm-hmm. to grow and develop. Mm-hmm. And here, literally, it's got nothing to do with anything else the guy is up to. Uh, and he is leveraging Tesla in order to do this deal. Yep. And he's acquiring you know, a business that makes about a billion dollars a year in profit. Uh, and he's going to have to pay for it. Yeah. Is, there, is there the same amount of regulatory scrutiny, though, because, since it's a, a, a private citizen, not like public shareholders? Well, no. So the, there is a lot of regulatory scrutiny on the Activision Microsoft deal, uh, yeah. and that's going to face its own challenges on that in that regard. Uh, but in this in this uh, space, uh, the fact that he's an individual doing the acquisition doesn't really matter. What matters here is that uh, he is not uh, 
like a big tech platform. Mm -hmm. It's not a consolidation of the industry. It doesn't raise all these antitrust right. issues that are really going to be a big challenge for Microsoft. Mm -hmm. So those the, the different different like the apples and oranges in that regard. So as this has gone ahead over the last few weeks, there's been a lot of resistance in the media, politically, reportedly, you know. Uh, factions within Twitter almost, who, you know, sort of opposed the Musk and his agenda and, you know, people who didn't want to see this deal go ahead. Uh, you'd read these articles and, you know, oftentimes it's not clear exactly why just this extent he's going to come in and uh, turn things upside down. People saying, oh, Trump's going to come back. Just all these things that have, that have sort of been out there. Um, and I'm just going to say that this got weirdly political. Yeah. Very, very exactly. And I, and I, to my class, I told them, I, I just don't understand. Yeah. But it's a, a very... Uh, people have just jumped on on sides for, right. for any for and some it's not always numbers. clear exactly what it is yeah, other yeah. than we so, just don't yeah. like this guy yeah um, so I'm just kind of curious when you talk about the, the the duties of the board to the shareholders of a company how do you balance sort of these you might call them political concerns you know the business strategy concerns with the fiduciary duty to when a you know significant amount of money is on the table to to do right by your shareholders how does that work behind the scenes how's that balanced and uh, what's the board supposed to do here and do they do it? Yeah, so that's a good question. So, I mean, the board has uh, an obligation to act in the best interests of the corporation mm -hmm. and its stockholders over the long run, yeah. however they define the long run, right? Uh, so that means things like if, uh, you know, Musk comes in and says, hey, I know you've got all these moderation uh, policies. I'm just going to get rid of them. Mm -hmm. So now you should sell me the company. Mm -hmm. The board can say, well, you know, this corporation, over the long run, is going to be best served by having moderation policies, and we think that's important and valuable. Uh, so, no, we don't want to sell to you, and they're not required to. They're not required to sell. This was a big mis, uh, misunderstanding uh, by a lot of people with blue check marks uh, yeah. very early in this process that once uh, Musk showed up with an offer that the board was required to sell to them. They were not. Uh, mm -hmm. they, so they adopted a poison pill. Uh, that's a defense against an un unsolicited offer. And that's an effective defense. So yeah. if they wanted to, they could have held him off for for as long as they wanted to. Yeah. Right? They could have held him off or used the pill to negotiate yeah. a higher price. Can you talk a little yeah. bit about for the uninitiated uh, what the pill is and uh, is that what was used here? Because you're right. All the, the blue check marks was just kind of opining about how uh, corporate law works. You might not know what they're talking about. Uh, can you talk a little, a little bit about what the poison pill is and how that worked here? Yeah, so a poison pill is a... Um, corporate defense developed in, during the 1980s at the height of the, the leverage buyout boom of the 1980s. And uh, what it does, it's, uh, let me see the easiest way to put this, uh, the board of directors issues a new class of stock mm -hmm. to all existing stockholders. And this new class of stock gives existing, uh, these new, uh, we call them rights or options, right? Issues these options to new, uh, to its existing stockholders, and it gives them the right to purchase additional shares of the company uh, at a discount in the event something happens. There's something here happening being if some unwanted acquirer, unwanted person comes along and without the, uh, the assent of the board, buys more than 15% of the company, right? Mm -hmm. um, so uh, in the event Musk were to acquire more than 15% of the company, everybody else who's not named Musk would be able to buy additional shares of the company at a discount, uh, and they would. Uh, and that would put Musk going for, going from fifteen percent down to seven percent of the company. So it just continues to dilute his position. Yeah, it, like yeah. Uh, like if you're a classics major, like Sisyphus rolling a rock up a hill, you yeah. get to the fifteen percent, the rock rolls back down the hill, right. and you do it again. So really, what it does is it destroys uh, the, the acquirer's economic position mm -hmm. and just makes it impossible for them to 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 do an acquisition without the board saying yes. Mm -hmm. uh, so the key here is to put the board in a position to negotiate with the unwanted acquirer to get a higher price mm -hmm. or to get no price at all, mm -hmm. right? So if they just believe that this guy who's buying the company, wants to buy the company from us, just has the wrong idea of what's in the best interest of the corporation, the shareholders, and 
all the other various stakeholders. They don't have to sell it to him. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, they did. Yeah. So when Musk comes along with over $40 billion in financing, what does that mean for, for shareholders of Twitter? And I guess how, how, how could that influence, and I guess you know ultimately did, uh, the calculus behind the scenes of whether or not this is a deal that uh, is in their interest? Yeah, so again, so the board's not required when they when he says $54 a share, yeah. the board's not required to immediately say yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what they are required to do is consider that offer. Uh, again, they're free to say yes or, or say no. And what happened, I think, was they got the $54 share offer. They went back to their bankers and they said, can we do better than this for our shareholders over the long run? Mm-hmm. Are we doing anything now that we that we expect will pay off over the long run, whatever that is, uh, such that uh, we would be better, we'd be better off telling our stockholders to hang in with us? And my, I suspect the answer there was pretty clearly, pretty quickly, no. Right. There's nothing you guys are doing that's got that can pay off in that way for your stockholders in the in, in the short or the long term. But are you, are you surprised there wasn't more of a I don't know if the right term would be like a bidding war but to see if I'm, other companies I'm, would I'm buy frankly it? shocked actually. Yeah, that like I'm shocked maybe like Apple uh, or someone else wouldn't come in and try to well, buy no, it. Well, no, no, no. I, I wasn't expecting Apple or anyone else to come in, but what I'm shocked about is that on Sunday Elon Musk sent a letter over mm. uh, to the board of directors and said $54 is my best and final offer and I'm attaching a draft copy of a merger agreement that you, you, know, you should feel free to sign and send back. That morning, the board met. The next morning, they signed the merger agreement. And when you look at the merger agreement, it looks like they just signed it. <laughs> I mean, I wonder what they negotiated about because they certainly didn't negotiate for an extra 10 cents for the stockholders. There's like not a, do- not a nickel more. Uh, so, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, yeah. So if, if what Musk was bringing to the table is just so... You might use the word generous such that this was able to go through. It sounds like relatively smoothly once they saw, like, oh, this might be the best we're going to be able to do. I'm just curious, what? how does he get return on this investment? I know you described it as a, a world's richest man buying his favorite toy. Mm. Uh, but what's the strategy here with, with this? I mean, he's leveraged his other assets. Like, where, from a business standpoint, where does it go from here? Yeah, I, so it's an excellent question, right? So he's got uh, – Twelve billion in bank debt mm-hmm. that has to get paid. You guys are law students. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what debt, what paying off debt's like. Right. You got to send in that check every month. So he's got to pay that bank debt, come what may. And it's twelve billion dollars. Let's say it's at five percent. Uh, that's five hundred million a year ish mm-hmm. uh, in interest payments. Uh, I mean, Twitter made a billion dollars last year. So half of their profit going to pay off that that, that debt. Yeah. And he's got another twelve and a half billion dollars in margin loans. Uh, so these are this is debt that he's getting from getting from an investment bank, uh, where there's collateral. The collateral are his shares of Tesla, that also has to get paid every year, probably the same amount of money, probably the same basic terms. It's another five hundred billion dollars. So there's the, all the other profit mm-hmm. that uh, Twitter makes, uh, and then he's got equity contribution, about twenty one billion dollars of equity contribution. Um, you know he's the world's richest man, but he doesn't have a lot of income. Right. Right. I mean, his income is from – well, he doesn't – he margins his stock for cash, and that's how he lives his life. Uh, so he doesn't pay – he doesn't pay much in taxes. So we know he doesn't have, like, a lot of money sitting in bank accounts. Mm-hmm. So he has to do something with his Tesla stock right. to get the other $21 billion in cash ready to go. So he's either going to sell it, which he sold $4 billion worth of stock yesterday, mm-hmm. or he's going to have to margin it. So he's uh, doing anything to get the liquidity to, to, to make this thing work. But like, then you have to pay back right. that money right. uh, either to himself – or to the bankers for his Tesla stock, where he has to cover that debt, that Tesla stock margin debt with Tesla stock that yeah. he's going to have to sell, or and or he's going to have to like drag the cash out of Twitter itself. It's not easy. No. Uh, I mean, he's going to when he gets this company, and he will get this company. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not clear that it's going to look anything like 
the company uh, that, that existed last year. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask if you thought there was any way this deal still falls through somehow. Was it whether it's a financing issue? Do, no, do, do, do no. Think it's... So the way the financing is, is set up, uh, there is no financing condition. The deal will get done. Uh, he uh, has an obligation to complete the transaction. If he does not come up with financing, uh, the comp at the company's uh, discretion, uh, they can seek what's called specific performance. Mm -hmm. The court will require him to buy the company, mm -hmm. uh, or he pays a billion dollars in as, as a reverse termination fee. But that's at the company's discretion. And the way the financing is set up, uh, like in, for example, on the margin loans, uh, he's got. $12 billion in margin loans coming from uh, Morgan Stanley, mm -hmm. for which he has to put up $5 worth of Tesla stock for every $1 that Morgan Stanley is going to lend him. Yeah. Now, a lot of things can happen to, to Tesla stock. That, that's got to be a huge drop in price for that margin loan not to be still worth $12 billion. So he might leverage himself out of existence, but that money is going to get paid uh, to the Twitter stockholders. And, you know, I, I'm not going to cry for him because he's <laughs> whatever's going on. He's still going to have a bed to sleep on somewhere. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure, I'm sure he'll be fine. Uh, yeah, so like you said, there's forty-six and a half billion dollars Morgan Stanley, Bank of America, Barclays, just a whole uh, whole list of them, yeah. a whole cadre of, uh, of of institutions here coming together to make this thing work. I'm just curious, are, are there uh, again, you know, Tesla's a large company that's uh, you know people are certainly familiar with, and like a lot of other companies, there's a lot of these obligations on that end too. I'm just mm. curious, are there could there be voices within some of this guy's other properties just saying, you know, what are we, what are we doing? You're yeah. kind of leading us astray here. I don't, I don't know yeah. if you're doing right, you know, in terms of his obligations to, to, to Tesla, to his other properties and trying to make this thing work or, you know, is he, is he just calling all the shots? It seems like. Yeah. I mean, before he sold his $4 billion worth of Tesla stock yesterday, he was a 22% stockholder of Tesla, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if I was, a, if I was on the board of directors of Tesla, I'd have some real questions. Yeah. You know, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. What are you doing? You're, you, when he sells his shares or he margins his shares of Tesla, that has impacts on Tesla shareholders. I mean, the price is down to uh, from when he signed up the deal, a thousand dollars, thousand five dollars a share, down to like eight eighty nine today, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you know that, and that could turn into a death spiral, depending yeah. on, on like what happens with respect to his, his being able to uh, finance this, this company, because the company's going to get the acquisition is going to get financed, mm -hmm. right? And it's just a matter of how much blood is going to get drawn from the Tesla stone to do that. Yeah. Uh, and so, if I were a stockholder or on the board of Tesla, I'd be extremely worried about this. Looking at the long game here from us, I mean, would you say this is sort of a new generation of like sort of activists, no, they call them investors, no. oligarchs, you might yeah. say? Because yeah. this guy likes to, you know, if you think back to. Uh, and I think you actually uh, your first appearance with us was, was was last winter with with GameStop and everything mm -hmm. that happened there, and you know, he certainly was 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 vocal there. And it seems like a guy who doesn't shy away from sort of playing with some of the plumbing of mm -hmm. the stock market and sort of getting involved in in these deals. Is is this sort of a preview of coming attractions, or is this just sort of a moment in time in terms of very rich people, uh, you know, using social media, you you know, uh, megaphones and trying to influence things, or is this, is this sort of a, a moment in time? Uh, you know, there's only one richest man in the world. Yeah. So I don't, I wouldn't look to him as the example for all the other richest men in the world to do, right? Because you only get one of them. Uh, yeah. So I, I, no, I don't see him as a, like the new wave of activist investing. Yeah. Uh, so this is its own thing. It's going to stand on, stand or fall on its own two feet. And, uh, you know, there's a lot going on with respect to activist investing and ESG and environment and all that other mm -hmm. stuff. Uh, but I don't see, I don't see this as a model. Okay. Uh, another question is, with respect to Twitter, you know, Twitter is, you know, Musk has called it, this is the new public square, you know, freedom of speech, all these other issues. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in the last few years, particularly involving elections and, and things in the political realm, there's been questions about how to, how should companies like Twitter, tech companies, how, how should they be controlled? How should they be regulated? Uh, do you think that this sort of influences that trajectory at all? I, I know people 
like you said, it got weirdly political. Elon Musk seems to be looked at as someone who's on the right. Like it just seems like this is, depending on what your on, on what your politics are, people have uh, you know some feelings about how what role, if any, the government should play in, in a situation like this. Do you think that going forward here, in terms of uh, from from a regulatory standpoint? This could change things at all, or you know, it sort of comes against the moment here where there's been questions about you know Facebook, Twitter, how to how to regulate things like that. You know, it's a he's a company that he's taking private. He's said you know he's got some ideas about freedom of speech, about uh, you know how things should work. What does this mean at all for sort of this intersection of uh, regulators and government and corporations when it comes to you know the world's richest guy being able to own the world's biggest megaphone? Yeah, I mean, I think all of those discussions about the you know the megaphones, mm-hmm. all the platforms, they're all still out there, and yeah. they all still have to be thought about, and people have to make really hard decisions about what does it mean to be you know to run a thing like a Facebook or an Instagram or a Snap or a Twitter, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and what role government should play in terms of things like content moderation, right? I mean, his view seems to be fairly simple, I think. His view is the First Amendment, and if the First Amendment allows it, let's do it. So, you know, I fully expect that the day he takes over, there will be lots of porn on Twitter, right? That's in the First Amendment. There'll be lots of, I don't know, videos about crushing kitties and things like that. That's all First Amendment protected. I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there that's that Twitter doesn't allow. Mm-hmm. And we're all like, okay, that's a good idea. Don't put that on there. And if he's going to let it all back on and, turn, and turns the place into a cesspool, you know, if I'm a former Twitter Twitter stockholder, I've got $54 in my pocket. What do I care? Right. I mean, yeah. you get uh, Twitter CEO uh, Parag Agrawal be making $30 million from the buyout. Uh, co-founder and former CEO Jack Dorsey, $978 million. Money talks, uh, you know, it, it seems like certainly here. Um but managing the company, and I guess I kind of wanted to, to, to finish on this mm-hmm. note, going forward, uh, what kind of leadership structure within Twitter can we expect? I mean, it seems like uh, when you buy out the company, as Musk has, it sort of puts them in charge, at least in a lot of people's minds of Twitter and you know the, the way it works. It seems like it's all going to be up to one man all of a sudden. In terms of corporate governance with Twitter, what can we expect to see going forward? Is it just Musk calling the shots? Is there going to be... Uh, a new board, like what, what, what is the leadership comp- of this company going to look like going forward? Yeah, th- there'll be a board, yeah. uh, but it'll be nominal because right? yeah. that board will report to Musk. And with, if they go far, stray too far away from what Musk wants, they're going to be gone. So, mm-hmm. uh, so there'll be a board, okay. uh, but he's going to be responsible for, for whatever it is going forward. And, you know, you can imagine what's going to happen. Here's a business that, that throws off a billion dollars in cash a year that's going to have more than a billion dollars worth of uh, uh Debt demands every year. Mm-hmm. Oh, big big changes coming uh, for the employees of Twitter. Uh, the companies will look very, very, very different yeah, uh, and, in the future. And Musk has said the economics don't matter to me. It's, yeah, it's going to matter speed. a lot when he yeah. has to pay that bill. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, lastly, Musk has gotten into trouble before from actually his you know activities on Twitter with respect to uh, you know laws regarding securities and in and, and doing some things he probably shouldn't be doing. Now that he owns the platform and owns the company, has all of this at least theoretically control over how that works and what people say. Could there be heightened scrutiny for this? Because I feel like if you, if you, you know, we saw with the GameStop last year and, uh, you know, the way, you know, of Trump, whoever goes on Twitter and says something about a company, we can get the stock price to, to move quite a bit. There's a lot of control um, that this guy suddenly has that he's gotten in some trouble for uh, running afoul of before just as a user of Twitter, albeit mm-hmm. a pretty powerful and outspoken one. Um, are there some legal concerns, policy concerns over 
you know, owning a platform that's so influential to, to discourse, to the stock market, uh, you know, as we've seen its ability to, to, to move the needle with uh, the, the stock market and the economy and so forth. Is there concern there for, for this newfound control over something that's so powerful? Yeah, I mean, they're the same issues, again, that, that all the other platforms have to deal with. So I don't think that, I don't think we put him in a separate bucket necessarily. Yeah. Uh, but he, when he gets control of this thing, he's going to realize it's a business. I mean, he knows it's a business, but he, it's it's a business that has to get run in a way that at least generates enough cash to pay off the debt. Otherwise, it's the end of the show for the for the for the company. And you know, not everybody has to stay there. Not everybody will stay there. If it turns into like a porn infested uh, crazy show, yeah. people will leave. And yeah. uh, you know, it's not the first time in a, a social network. I mean, how's your MySpace uh, yeah. account doing? Doing great. <laughs> <laughs> More of a mechanical point. Point. Um, Musk has said he wants to keep as many shareholders on the board as possible. Is that just him trying to like placate people, or how would that work? Yeah. So there are. Uh, my guess is uh, the best uh, targets for him to, for for that particular statement are Jack Dorsey, who owns about a billion dollars worth of shares as well as Elliott Management and Silver Lake, who are private equity investors who are on the board now, and they got in around $50 a share. So I think he's throwing out an opportunity for them to stay, mm-hmm. uh, reduces the cost to him if they're able to roll over their shares into the new Twitter. Uh, but uh, you know, we'll see if they decide yeah. to, to jump on board or not. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, this has been uh, VCL's Just Law Podcast. I'm Tom Blake with Jim Fiore and Professor Brian Quinn uh, discussing Elon Musk's uh, purchase of Twitter. Uh, and it's obviously something we're going to have to continue to watch uh, going forward. So, Professor, thank you for joining us once again. Another another wacky deal to talk about. And uh, until next time, that'll do it. Thanks, everyone.